Superhumanize. Accelerated Evolution. Welcome back, superhumans. Today I have a truly heavenly episode for you. As above, so below, this paraphrase of the second verse of the Emerald Tablet describes the idea that what happens in a higher realm or plane of existence also happens in a lower realm. Since the dawn of time, humankind has looked to the higher realms of the stars for guidance, whether for navigation of our oceans and planet, or via astrology for the navigation of our destinies. Astrology dates back to the second millennium BC, when the Babylonians developed the first organized system of interpretation of the celestial bodies and their influence on human affairs. Until the 17th century, astrology was actually considered a scholarly tradition. Famous people of science and scholars such as Galileo Galilei, Isaac Newton, and Carl Gustav Jung used astrology to guide their lives and work. Do the answers lie in the stars? Today, we're welcoming a man on the show who says, yes, they do. Gal Sasson is an expert astrologer, storyteller, and teacher. He's a guest lecturer at USC, Tel Aviv University, and teaches at Esalen Omega Institute, University of Judaism, and the Open Center in New York City. With deep roots in the ancient art of Kabbalah, astrology, and psychology, Gal helps his students and clients interpret their past and design their future in illuminating and life-changing ways. Gal is a best-selling author, and his first book, A Wish Can Change Your Life, has been translated into over eight languages and is endorsed by His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama. His second work, Cosmic Navigator, has been called the essential reference guide to understanding our astrological makeup. Since 2018, Gal has been publishing a yearly best-selling book on the astrology of the upcoming year. In this episode, we will talk about the history of astrology, the application of it to our lives, as well as the power our names hold. And last, but certainly not least, Gal will share with us his predictions and book for 2023, which has the title, Traversing the Bridge, Movement of the People. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Gal, I heard that you say that astrology is the feng shui or a map for the soul. In what is your take on how astrology can help us live a better life? I really do believe in the premise of astrology. Astrology is based on the axiom. It's a very ancient one from alchemy as above, so below. The idea is that whatever is happening in our celestial environment affects us. Now with the whole eco movement, you see it very bluntly that whatever is happening to the rivers and to the air and to the ice sheets in um, Greenland affect us, even if you're not in Greenland, even if you're not in the Northern Hemisphere. So even if you don't live by a river. So the idea is that we are now starting to understand that one that is around us, that everything is connected. And this is something that astrology has been talking about for a long time, that if we navigate using the planets and the stars around us, we can improve our way of getting to our destination. The same way that sailors very early on realized that the stars can help us navigate, the same thing is not only navigating physically, but also navigating emotionally and intellectually. And if you think my theory about the beginning of astrology, and that's why 
I like to talk about astrology in a much more concrete, practical way. I think that astrology got a really bad rap and vibe in the last, let's say, 150 years, but it really started at the beginning of the age of reason. If you think about the fathers of astronomy, Kepler, Galileo, they were all astrologers. They actually lived with astrology, and astrology is the one that helped them, including Newton, discover a great deal of their um ideas. So I think that it's really important for us to put astrology in the right perspective. My feeling is that the first astrologer was a cave woman, most likely uh, Homo erectus, a woman, a woman, I don't know if it's precisely a woman, a humanine, you can call her, that recognized that there is a connection between the moon and her own cycles. Not her own cycles, because in the past, even women in the past, they used to get their menstruation cycle at the same time, always according to the moon. In factories, when women work together, it's still happening these days. So the idea is that a woman had to be intelligent enough and inquisitive enough and strong enough to also persuade other women to pay attention to the connection between the cycles that they're having with their blood and the moon. Why it was so important? Because at that time, a lot of people, a lot of women died giving birth. So they had to find a way to like control that. How much sex can we have with our caveman who is coming horny from his hunt to how can I risk myself getting pregnant, which is it could be a terminal disease. So it could be killing me. The best way is to find a manner, a clock, a cosmic clock that can help me still make love to my caveman and maybe not get pregnant until I want to. And who can help me with time? The moon. So my feeling is that it was a woman who recognized the connection between her body and the body of her gang with the moon. Bang. That's when astrology was born. Astrology was born to help women survive pregnancy. It's very simple. That's why the womb family, home, motherhood is ruled by the moon in astrology. Mm. Even the interesting thing is that if you think about it, Scorpio is the sign of death in astrology. The tarot card for Scorpio is death. But you also know that the French called a making love the petite mort, no? the little death. And now we know that it's ancestral. It's something that has to do with the past that sex could lead to death because the woman could get pregnant. So the idea is that astrology helped us survive. And then if you make the leap forward into when astrology was really galvanized and crystallized, we're talking about Sumeria, we're talking about Babylon, that area in the world was basically the land between the two rivers. It's called Mesopotamia, Tigris, and Euphrates. That's where the cradle of civilization is. That's where the first cities were created. And I went to this lecture, an interesting lecture about that period talking about five, six thousand years ago in Sumeria, modern day Iraq, Iran. What happened that then is there's no mountains there. There's no vegetation. It was pretty much a land of mud everywhere. And the rivers used to flood randomly. So the lecturer was saying, jokingly, that's why the reason why these people invented so many weird ways to predict the future, such as astrology. And I was going, oh my God, this guy just proved astrology because these guys needed to find a way to tap to the cycles of two rivers that are unruly and they basically flood whenever they want. How do we know they succeeded? The first cities on the planet, the first Visigoths, the first everything was there. The first writing, the first wheel, the first sailboat, the first uh, mathematics, everything was invented there. So that means that somehow they managed to understand the cycles of these rivers, not only do that, but actually use it to their advantage. And astrology survived because it helped people survive. And mm. For me, this is one of the ways to explain to people, believers or non-believers, that there is something to this system of tapping into whatever is happening in our celestial environment to whatever is happening to us. And that's one of the reasons why the greatest psychologist, I think, of all time, Carl Jung, was an astrologer. He basically, that's one of the reasons why he had a big fight with Freud. He used to write to Freud in 1919, these very passionate letters about how his evenings, he says, are consumed with the study of astrology. And for Freud, it was, okay, that's it, you're out. And he lost his star student in a sense. So we know it from Kepler, we know it from Galileo, we know it from Jung, we know it from anybody who actually goes ahead and dives into astrology they discover this amazing thing. That's what Jung said, that psychology has much more to learn from her older sister, astrology, than astrology from her younger sister, psychology. 
Beautiful. Thank you for sharing those insights, Gal. I This is really fascinating. I love what you shared about your hypothesis that it was a female who probably was the first astrologer and how Eros and Thanatos tie in together. I was not aware of the history of the Sumerians with regards to that aspect. That is really intriguing. Yeah. Sumeria, like the ancient Greek, I think were some kind of uh mutation, like a mutant nation, let's call it like that. Something that caused humanity to go to the next level. If you think about these people over there, the first cities, the first agriculture, the first writing system, the first sailboats, the first maps, the first tapping into astrology were basically brilliant. And then the Babylonians it up. But the idea that it was developed there and not elsewhere, if you think about even if you look at Vedic astrology, it was influenced by Sumeria and by Babylon and even by the Greek. Because what happened, which is really interesting in history, we had this center of study in Babylon. And what happened when Alexander the Great conquered the Persian or the Iranian Persian Empire, he basically spread Hellenism or the Greek thought everywhere, but he was very open and his successor were very open to absorbing information. So what happened is that they started getting astrology into Greece about 400 BCE. Greece was very ready for it with the philosophers, with the mathematics, with the geometry that they had. So for them, astrology was great. The thing that they did with astrology, like they do with everything in Greece in that time at least, is democratize it. What does it mean? Before, Astrology was only for the king. Only the king could benefit from astrology. What happened when Greece got that, ancient Greek got that, they started doing charts, horoscope. The word horoscope is Greek. It's the map of the hours in a sense for everybody who wanted to. And suddenly the bank of information about charts, it's almost like AI today is sampling a lot of images in order to understand what is cat and what is a dog. That same thing happened in, in Greece when they started doing charts for everybody and they started assimilating much more knowledge about what does it mean if you're Leo with Aquarius rising. Now we don't have to wait for the king and the next king to do his chart. Now we can do for everybody and learn much more about astrology. And then they spread it all over the empire, which got even all the way down to that's why some of the name of the signs in the Vedic astrology sounds like Greek. I did not know that. Yet again, something I'll have to dive into deeper. Gal, I know from the research that I did, you actually have quite a fascinating life story. And before I want to go on to something that's really burning on my brains to pick your brain about your new book, can you give us a brief overview of how you actually got into doing, into your calling, into your passion. It's interesting because uh, sometimes people ask me, how did I find astrology? And in my case, it's more like, how did astrology find me? Because I wasn't searching for her. So what happened was that I studied psychology in Israel, in the University of Haifa. And after that, you're supposed to fight your way into a master's degree and you need to have your the right scores and marks, which I had, no problem. But then you have to have some form of a, recommendation from a professor that knows you. The problem in Israel is that we had 300 people, 200 people in a class. How is he going to know me? Mm -hmm. So then I decided to apply to this special class with this professor. Only eight people were elected and it was a psychodynamic kind of a class. You're supposed to share your feelings, blah, blah, blah. And I said, that's easy. At least he'll know me and he'll give me a recommendation. Everything was planned. At the end of my studies, I had all the marks I needed. I just needed this recommendation. I went to his office. Very easy. It's nothing. It's like going to a checkup every year in the doctor office. You don't expect anything. Then suddenly he tells me, listen, I'm not going to give you the recommendation. And not only that, I'm on the board that decides who's going to go. And I can tell you right now, you're not going. And I said, what? And he says, you have a little bit of an issue with reality. Maybe I shouldn't tell you that, but that's what he said. And he said, either you will be fighting the system all the time, or the system will destroy your creativity. And I think you're just not the right person to do to be a clinical psychologist studying in our university. And I got super pissed off. By the way, he's absolutely right. I don't know about the reality issue because I think I'm pretty practical in reality. But he also said that Jung had a problem with reality. So if I'm in the same team with Jung, I'm totally fine. The idea is this: that what he said about creativity is right. Because I don't know if I could have been a psychologist sitting next to somebody that I feel that they have a problem from past life and not being able to talk about past lives. Okay, So I would probably get into trouble or fight them or they would fight me. 
So he was right. But at that moment, I didn't feel like he was right. I felt like he was my worst enemy. I wanted to curse him. Then I went home. And as things happen with synchronicities, whenever you're in a junction in life, a lot of coincidences happen. That's how we know that we're coming close to a junction in our life. If there's a lot of synchronicity, serendipities, coincidences, we are coming close to a very important junction. You have to start looking left and right, like when you cross the street, because energies are coming from the left, from the right, from above, from below, from within, from without. So I had a phone call right when I landed back in my home and it was my friend who was a cancer, is a water sign. And he says, hey, we're going to Mexico to surf. Do you want to come with us? I said, I don't surf. I'm just heard this terrible news. Let me mourn in quiet. But then I had a thought in my head. Sometimes in your life, you have these loud thoughts, I call them. They're thoughts that basically silence the rest of the thoughts for a few seconds and you can't ignore them. And it's not, I'm talking about thoughts that tell you to go kill someone. That's schizophrenia. That's something different. But I'm talking about loud thoughts. And the loud thought was telling me your name in Hebrew, Gal, means a wave. You were blocked on a certain path in your life, you idiot. Now somebody else is coming here and telling you, why don't you learn how to surf waves? It's pretty much on the nose here. Just don't be stubborn and go. And I said, okay, I go. I didn't even sell my business. I had a little business that I was doing gardening at that time. I didn't have my car. I had my rental. I didn't touch them. I just went to Mexico thinking I'm going to go there for one month. And it ended up being a whole two years. Because what happened is certain things started happening. I told you, synchronicities. And from Guadalajara, which was the only international airport to go back to Israel, I went there saying goodbye to my friends who went back to Israel. I said, I have a few more weeks to hang out. I'll go to Guatemala and study Spanish. And then on my last day in Guadalajara, I was with my bag, with everything, the traveler checks, the computer, the computers, no computer, the cameras, the everything that I had. And this guy starts walking next to me and starts talking in English, which was really rare in Guadalajara at that time. And he says, I'm going to show you real Mexico. And this is precisely what they warned us in Israel. At that time, there was a lot of people that were snatching organs in Mexico out of tourists, putting them back in, if they're lucky, in a tub full of ice without a liver or without a kidney. I mean, without a liver, you're dead, but without a kidney at least or something. And I said, this is precisely by the books what they told me not to do. And I said, I'll just do it because it's a junction. I went there and it turned out to be really nice. He taught me a little bit of boxing. I showed him some Tai Chi that I learned in Israel. And then we're supposed to go back. He's supposed to leave me back in the bus station. It was really one of the poorest places in Guadalajara. And then we hear this drumming and bass coming from one of the houses. And I thought it would be really an anthropological interesting thing to go and listen to a Mexican band. I can at least say I did something cultural. And this woman came out of that house and she was the sister of the guy and the guy asked her, hey, can can we come and check out your brother's band over there? Uh, he wants to see it. Yeah, sure. Go in. In Mexico, people are very open. I went inside. There was a mic there. And I just grabbed the mic. I didn't speak Spanish. They didn't speak English. And I just sang for three hours with them. At the end, I said, thank you very much. It was like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am situation. Like I got what I needed. Thank you. And they were shocked. And they said, listen, through a translator, we were waiting for auditions. Nobody showed up and you showed up because we're auditioning a singer to our band. I said, oh, that's thing. says, yeah, it's weird. Okay. I went to my little hostel, hostel place ready to go the day tomorrow, the day after to uh, Guatemala. And these guys show up with a lot of other people. All of them knew a little bit of English. And they basically said, listen, this is crazy. We're looking to create a band. You showed up. It's unbelievable. You're the voice that we want. We'll teach you Spanish to stay. So I stayed for a month. Then the month stayed, happened to two years. And what happened one day is when I was running in the park, Columbus Park, which is symbolic because Columbus discovered America in a way, the Viking did before. But so anyway, I was running there and I saw some people doing some yoga. I didn't know that it was yoga. I didn't know it was Kundalini yoga. I joined them. I became good friend with the teacher. And one day the teacher told me, one of my students have a problem. Can you come and do some Reiki with him? I said, yes, I'll do it. I did the Reiki for him. And his wife was really impressed. So she says, why don't I give you a gift? I said, okay. And she did my chart. First time anybody did my chart and she kept looking at the books. What does it mean? What does it mean? So I knew that she doesn't know how to do astrology, but what she told me was more profound than all the psychologists I had before her. And I had many. So I closed my eyes and I asked the universe, listen, universe, uh, if I'm supposed to learn astrology, make it very clear for me because I'm in Mexico. I don't speak Spanish. I don't have any money. It's before internet. So I don't know how to find a school for astrology. So it needs to be really in my face. And that's it. I didn't ask again. I didn't do anything. That's how I always ask people to talk to the universe without attachments, without desire, without saying a hundred times like they tell you in mantras as if God can't hear you the first time. You just <laughs> say it out there and 
let it go. Let it go. Just release it. Don't hold on to it. And then wait for the signs. And within two weeks, the guitar player of my band, even though he never knew about my request, told me, listen, there is a bunch of people meeting. I think you're going to vibe with them. Let's check that out. They're meeting once a week. I didn't feel like it. I said, okay, I'll go. I sat in the back so I can escape because I don't speak Spanish and they were speaking Spanish. Right when I was about to leave, the teacher turns around and writes something in Hebrew on the blackboard. And I was like, I'm in Mexico, in Guadalajara. Why is he writing in Hebrew names of God? It's weird. So I stayed until the end. I reached out to him and I told him, you know, what's happening here. And he says, we're studying Kabbalah and astrology. I said, okay, I don't have any money. He says, no problem. You'll help us with the Hebrew and you can do it for free. And that's how I got into astrology. Later on, I found out that in Guadalajara, Spain, is where the Zohar, the most important book in Kabbalah, was written. It's as if my soul knew it needs to go to that city, Guadalajara, even if it's in Mexico, the best thing you can have. And there I found Kabbalah, which led me to astrology. So what I think is, I don't think my, I'm, I don't think I'm special about synchronicities. I think that what happened is that I pay attention to them. So it's almost like being somebody who speaks a language and then enjoys the poetry of that language. But it's not like I have an, a kinship to poetry. It's just that I made my life mission learning to pay attention to synchronicity, which is a lot of fun because it's magic in the here and now. Yes. It is absolutely beautiful, and I can relate to that. Thank you for sharing this uh, wonderful story of how you got into astrology, Gal. It's truly beautiful. And also what you mentioned about your name. I would like to later on talk about actually the power that is in a name. However, you are what you dedicate yourself to and is also giving people the tools to navigate their lives via astrology. And you write a book about each year. And I think it was even your first book that got endorsed by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, which is truly amazing and speaks volumes about the work you do, what you put forth into this world. I just read your book for 2023, which is titled Traversing the Bridge and Movement of the People. So I'd really like to talk about the insights you share in there. When I first read the introduction, I had to take a deep breath because it's loaded. The predictions are loaded with pretty heavy heavenly events. Uh, you co actually called it an astrological traffic jam. <laughs> so <clears throat> as and as with anything, there's beautiful opportunities within things that first might, yeah, might concern us. But so that being said, what can we expect for 2023? And are there specific dates or time periods that we all, regardless of which, under which sign we were born, we should pay attention to? The reason why I call it a traffic jam is because a lot of planets are changing signs. When a planet changes signs, it's almost like when you move. You move from one place to the other. You have your baggage. You have your stuff. You have to throw things. It's very emotional. It's a big issue. So if it's a planet like Jupiter that every year moves a sign, that's of a big deal. But if it's Saturn that every two and a half years moves a sign, or Pluto that every uh, 30 years moves a sign, Okay, that's already getting into a big deal. There is a change of government. It's almost like changing completely the rulers of your country or your city or your company. So what's happening to us right in March of 2023 is both Saturn, the Lord Karma, and Pluto, the Lord of Death and Resurrection, both of them are changing signs. One of them is moving from Aquarius into Pisces, that's Saturn. If you think about Saturn's journey, he moved into Aquarius right in March 2020, right in the beginning of the pandemic. And what is Aquarius? People, communities, friendships, groups, organizations, anything to do with governments, anything to do with technology, innovation, and what's happening? Suddenly, everybody's on Zoom. Suddenly, everybody's uh, isolated, social distancing, all of these words we are not even aware of. Suddenly, we depend on science. Astrology and science are ruled by Aquarius. We have the vaccines quickened. Instead of 10 years, it's a year. There is suddenly a revolutions. We don't want to take it. We do want to take it. A Black Lives Matter, all of those things around the world, toppling of statues, that's very much Saturn in Aquarius. Now we're moving into Pisces. It's a completely different energy because Pisces is all about religion. It's all about emotions, dependency and codependency, addictions. What is the ultimate addiction of humanity? 
now it's coal and fuel and the energy. What we are all addicted to coffee. Sorry, I'm projecting. I'm addicted to coffee because I'm addicted to coffee. You're addicted to coffee. And when we drink coffee, what happened? We get energy to do, to move. Same thing with the other black matter, which is basically uh, petroleum. It gives us energy to move because of the war in Ukraine, because of everything that's happening with global warming, because of even leftovers from the pandemic. We have now a big issue with Europe, especially with having to wean off petroleum, and they're going to feel it very strongly in the winter. So that's just one example. When I check to see in the book, I have, I love history. That's why the book is a little bit thick. And I have a lot of explanation of historical things that were happening. For example, when Saturn was in Pisces, we had fanatical religious people, even in Israel, acting out like really crazy, including clean, killing a Rabin, a Rabin, which was the closest we ever got to some peace accord, the Oslo peace accord between the Palestinians and, and the Israelis. And at that time, there was a fanatical crazy guy, Goldstein, who actually killed 29 uh, Palestinians praying in the cave of Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. Now in the election in Israel two days ago, and this election, I mean, this government is going to actually be in Israel right when Saturn is in, going to be in Pisces. One of the people that used to have a picture hanging behind him of that terrorist until 2019 is the number three in Israel now, the biggest party. So what is happening? We're now confronting our belief system when Saturn is in Pisces. So for on a personal level, if you guys go back to 93, 94, 95, it's the last time Saturn was in Pisces and you can see what happened in your life back then. That's the thing you have to deal with in 2023. The biggest thing about Pluto, which is another planet that takes 250 years to go around the sun, it's going to move from Capricorn into Aquarius. Now, when Pluto moved into Capricorn, 2008 is when we had the big recession because Capricorn is all about career and success and finance. Now it's going to move into Aquarius. So it was in a very conservative sign, Capricorn. Now it's going to move into a very liberal sign, futuristic sign, crazy sign, Aquarius. Last time that happened was the French Revolution, the American Constitution was written, and think about how much now the American Constitution is coming into the foreground. So we definitely have a year where there's going to be a lot of change, a lot of movement. And I saw that the movement of the people, because Pluto in Aquarius means changes around the world with where people live, what they do. It's a big, big transition. Again, once in 250 years, Pluto moves into Aquarius and it's going to be there until 2044. So it's a long time. Mm-hmm. Dates that are important are, first of all, the eclipses. Uh, this year in the book, what I did because of feedback from readers is that they wanted more specific dates uh, for day to day. I'm working now on creating a calendar that you can actually download uh, for free because I really believe that a lot of the information we have to give for free. Aquarius is the sign of freedom and it's the sign of humanity. So we should be gearing towards freedom of information as well. So the dates that are super important is the eclipse next year, April 20th, and May 5, October 14 and 28th. And also, if you're trying to get married or you'd want to get engaged, start a relationship, don't do it between July 22nd to September 5, because we're going to have Venus retrograde. Until January 15, Mars is retrograde. So it's still very tough. Don't take anybody to court. These are the main important dates. But of course, there is a lot more in between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I read through the main parts of the book and it was truly fascinating read. And then I read through the parts which are written for particular uh, signs. So I, of course, read my own and of my beloved and family. And <laughs> yeah, with regard to my own, I'm Pisces. So it was definitely taking a few breaths there and putting myself into the mindset open for growth and for seeing challenges as opportunities. Would it be okay? I don't want to put you on the spot at all. I just heard from our mutual friend, Sophie, who also works with you and who was so kind to make the introduction that you are basically able to, on the spot, tell people a little bit about themselves. If I give you my date of birth and time of birth, would you be willing to do a... Yeah, it's not me so much as the program. What is it? March 9th, 1977. And the time? I was born in the morning at 10.42 a.m. in the German city of Bonn. So we're looking at March 977. Yeah, so first of all, it's interesting because you're a Pisces. And Pisces, the sign of intuition, gut feeling, dance, movement, meditation, yoga, mysticism, 
it's Einstein was a Pisces and he even said mysticism is more important than even science. And he was a scientist. Your moon is in Scorpio, which makes you a witch. Whether you like it or not, things differently, things before they happen. Yes. There is a very strong ability for you to create intimacy with people. And maybe that's what made your calling to do this kind of work, which basically you create intimacy with the interviewers in order for that to pass and generalize to your audience, having intimacy either with themselves or with what the person is saying. So that's your moon in Scorpio. It's a very much about fascination with transformation, working with other people's money, other people's talents healing abilities. And the most important thing that is completely different in your chart that makes you more interesting and more complicated is that you're a Gemini rising, meaning that your path is the path of air, even though you are a creature of water. So you're a fish that's trying to swim, uh, to, to fly, or a bird that's trying to swim. And it's interesting because Gemini is uh, all about communication, marketing, sales, everything that has to do with writing. So your path is the path of the communicator. Who you are, you're a little mermaid. And your moon in Scorpio is that you don't have to go to the witch to open your legs uh, or your fiends into legs like the mermaid did because you are the witch in a sense. And when your moon is on top of Uranus, it actually means that humor is a very important aspect uh, of who you are. It will also be good for you. Ah, and also there is going to be really nice energies coming now this year from communities and people. Either there's going to be more companies, more people, more communities coming your way. And also Jupiter is going to move on top of your Venus, which is the aspect of marriage. Uh, some good energy with finance starting in May, March, May. You have it once in 12 years. It happened to you in 2010, 1998, 1986. It's basically every 12 years that you're getting the big boost of energy. But for the last six months or so, you have your dragon in the house of letting go. So there is a feeling of me having to get rid of things that I don't need. But it was pretty intense 2018, 19, and 20. Uh, regardless of the pandemic, Saturn moved back then into your house of death and letting go. And you're now coming out of it. You're spreading your wings. Now, actually, for the last six months, it's more about dealing with father figures because of authority and also making adjustments and changes in your career. That started about nine months ago, and it happens every 30 years. So last time it happened was pretty much 92, 91, 92, 93, which is the time of your puberty the time of change. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of that resonates very deeply, Gal. And the reason why I had to laugh when you said you're a witch <laughs> is because, yeah, just in the last maybe few years, I've come to not only to terms, I've come to embrace that aspect of myself. And while I'm not out and about saying I'm a witch, but if somebody asks me or if somebody needs some help in specific energy healing ways, I'm very glad to support. And that's what I do. And I now completely identify with that. <laughs> Sometimes it takes us time to know ourselves. Yesterday, I did a chart for a girl who is 13 years old. And you do it in a certain way. And then there is a chart I did to somebody a week ago who's 95 talking about the future I'm not saying this person has no future, but it's like, it's not as relevant because the future is not as intense as the past. So yeah, astrology does give you a great deal of ability to be flexible with information. Talking about time, and you also have spoken about past lives. You actually also offer past life regression. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'd like to know from you, what is your perception of time that of course in, in this incarnation on this plane of existence we experience it as a timeline what is your take on time first of all and then i'd like to hear your take on past lives time is a construct that we assume almost like wearing a clothes wearing a skin the minute we reincarnate and reincarnate i'm talking about the first two cells that you know your sperm your mother's egg meeting your father's sperm so that's the beginning of your reincarnation in a sense so at least you're starting to build yourself then you're starting to be bound by space and time it's like a rule that we have when we are reincarnated here even einstein that we mentioned a second ago and he did study time completely said that time is an illusion even if it's a persistent one so it's not like some kind of a mystical uh, mambo-jumbo. It is something that is embedded in science. We know that time is relative. You know, Even when you go higher than the earth and you go away from gravitational forces, even then time starts changing. So it's not like some kind of what? Philosophical. No, no. Time and space, you are born into this space. That's why as an astrologer, I ask people, I ask you, 
When were you born? Where were you born? Space and time. That's all I need to know to get your contract that you signed by giving your taking your first breath. This is your chart. Mm-hmm. So everything is bound by space and time. So time doesn't exist unless you're here. And the best example I always give to people, maybe because my father was a famous soccer player, is a soccer game or football, like you call it in Europe. There's a bunch of men or women who join there, 11 versus 11. 11 is a master number. And then you have that ball, which has black and white, almost like a yin-yang ball. And there is a rule. It's 90 minutes. Why not 80? Because it's 90, okay? Just keep it 90. 90 minutes. You're not allowed to touch your ball with your hands. Why not? God gave us hands because we're trying to understand how the game works, okay? That's the same thing that happens to you. The minute you decide to join the team of humans playing on soccer on planet Earth, you accept the fact that you cannot fly. Why cannot fly? Souls can fly. Yeah, yeah, I know. But now you can't fly for the next 80 years. You're bound by aging. I don't want to get old. You do have to get old. It's part of the game. Come on. It's like a soccer playing saying, I don't want to sweat. It's part of running around. Okay. So you are deciding to give yourself these restrictions of space and time so you can enjoy better the game and you can develop your thighs and you can develop your stunning mom and you can develop your strategy and you might win the game. So the same thing with space and time. These are tools that we use in order for our soul to grow. Now, I don't believe in reincarnation. I know about reincarnation. There's a difference. So if an alien comes and tells me astrology doesn't really work, I have to show you why. I will be open to it and I will say, okay, I think maybe you're right. If some of the alien comes and tells me there is no reincarnation, I would say to him, go back to where you came from because yes, there is. I knew it from an early age growing up in an atheistic family. So I had to like these memories of past lifetime hide It was not that I was indoctrinated by movies or TVs. Israel in the 70s was a very socialistic place. There is no place for religion. It didn't come to me from books from Buddhism because nobody taught us any of that. And I knew about reincarnation. I had dreams about past lives. It disturbed me. It's not like something I was proud of. So I have no doubt. The thing about past lives is that they are like roles. If Let's imagine you're an actress. And you have your IMDb shows already that you have 20 movies. In every movie, you had a different role. There is some aspect of you that is the same, even though you change your accent and change your look and you put makeup and sometimes you're blonde and sometimes you're your shaved head. Still, you can recognize, oh, that's the actress that I liked from the other movie. That's how we are. We assume a script that is written before. Yeah, that's your chart. And now you have to put on the makeup and all that. That's your genetic. So you can act the role that you play. And when the movie is done and the director is saying, cut, you're dead. And then you can get from your agent, agent is an angel, another role in another movie. And you're playing another role. And probably it's based on the role you played last time because you you played the bitch so well that now they want to see if you can play the victim as well. You know what I mean? Or they cast you as the bitch every and now you're stuck in some kind of loop lifetime after (laughs) lifetime. You're not learning anything because it's too easy. So I feel that's how it works. And people ask me if astrology is free will or fate. Vedic astrology, they're very much into fate. That's how it happens. That's how it will be. No way to overcome that. But that's because their philosophy is about the caste system. The untouchable, the Brahmin, that's how it is. Keep it like that. Shut up. That's how we manage. With Western astrology, I find there's more room for free will. And my best example that I gave to myself and I share with other people of how it works, your chart is your script. You got it. You got to be Hamlet in to be or not to be in Hamlet of Shakespeare. You're now Hamlet in your own play. We know that in a certain act, you're going to have to be alone on the stage and say to be or not to be, right? There is no choice. There is no free will there. It's fated that you will get to that monologue. Everybody's waiting for that. That's your script. That's your chart. Now, what makes a good actor or a bad actor? An actor that gets a million dollars for ending this role or an actor that's driven out of the stage with tomatoes? What's the difference? It's the same script. It's the same chart. Two people can be born in the same hospital, the same moment. Okay, say so have the same chart. They have the same to be or not to be. But one of them is going to say it with the right pathos, with the right tone, with the right hand movements and gestures, and will make us cry. The other one will make us yawn and hate Shakespeare. So that's how it works with your chart. Your chart, you're given. There is no change. There is no. It's sealed. But the way you act that chart, the your choices along the paths, how you accept what happens to you can make you either a hero or a villain. So that's the best way to look at it. Astrology is a marriage between the two aspects, free will and fate. 
Excellent. And that all actually also would have been a question why two people who were born at exactly the same time at exactly the same place can have completely different lives. And it makes a lot of sense. Every decision and be it even so small opens up different pathways into and they branch off and it's into the infinite possibilities. Something I would like to circle back is names and the power of names. You have actually said that we choose our names before we're born and that our names are a story that we must learn about and that is actually really fundamental to our life's story, to our life's unfolding, to our purpose. Can you talk about that in more detail, please, Gal? think that uh, our given names are given to us by ourselves. We might whisper it to our mother, or she might be watching, I don't know, uh, Casablanca, the movie, and she's completely infatuated with Humphrey Bogart, and she's going to call you Humphrey now. No, you made her tune into that movie and really moved some of the hormones and chemicals within her body because you're in there and you can control some of the stuff maybe. And Humphrey is the name that you wanted. You know, the name, and that's why I don't tell people to look too much into the numerology of the name, but more into the story that the name says, because the meaning of the name, the etymology of your name. It's funny because even Jung talked about it one time. He actually, I wrote an article for a university about the biblical, the importance of biblical, the symbolic meaning of biblical names. And it was the only academical thing mm-hmm. I published. And it was interesting because when I did some research for that, I found out that Jung also thought about names. I didn't even know about it. And he said, it's interesting because Freud means pleasure in German uh, or something close. You should know better than me. And he was always obsessed about sexuality and the principle of pleasure. Adler much more means power and eagle, and it's more about the power energy. And Jung, which comes from Jung, I'm always interested in regeneration, death and resurrection, So he found even in the names of the people around him, how it's, I don't know if it's influenced by how it pointed towards what they're supposed to work with, what they're supposed to study. And I saw it very much in the Bible. The Bible influenced a lot of our thoughts in the Western, actually all over the world right now. And the idea in the Bible is that 80 times when there is a character introduced, immediately after that, there is the interpretation of the name, almost as if it's telling you, listen, you need to only know the name of what the name means. If you really want to see the details, you can continue working with the story and reading it, but really you don't need to. And I give an example, for example, David, David, King David in Hebrew means the beloved, and his name is adjacent to the word love more than any other character in the Bible. Not only that, he's the beloved, he's not the lover. There's a difference. Everybody loves David. Even God is infatuated with David, even his enemies. But he never, ever one time said who David loves. Hmm. He's one of these guys that never tell you, I love you, even to God. Okay. So it's saying he's a beloved. And all of his story, all of his arc is all about love. The love that he had from Jonathan, which was the prince crown, crown prince, the love he had from his sister, the love he had from the king he usurped, the love he had from his enemies, from God, the Bathsheba love affair that caused him to fall. And eventually when he was 70 years old, the last story we have about David is that he can't get it hard. So they do all over, they go all over the country to find a woman that can warm his, uh, and she failed. So the last story we have about David is that he cannot make love. And you see it in all the characters, even in stories of Near Eastern poetry that has nothing to do with the Bible, even before the Bible. And then whatever was missing for me, something more evolutionary, I was always waiting for that explanation. And that I found in a theory in anthropology called the gossip theory, the the vocal grooming vocal grooming. What is that? Uh, There is a theory that troops of monkeys or chimpanzees and bonobos are 50 max. And the way they know each other is by grooming, right? Grooming each other. Humans started evolving into groups of 150. It's impossible for you to groom people that way. You know, you're going to be nothing, doing nothing by grooming all day long. It's not good, not evolutionary. So what they suggested is that we started developing language in order to gossip at each other. That's what we still do. (laughs) Even today, 70% of conversation, they measured it in malls, were gossip. And gossip, men gossip just as much as women, by the way. The only difference is women gossip about other people and men like to gossip about themselves. That's the only (laughs) difference, you know. 
<laughs> the idea is though that gossip is very important for us. Now, what is gossip? Gossip is creating this connection between people. Did you hear about what that what happened to that person? He climbed that tree and fell and broke his uh, both legs. Which person? You know, the one with the big beard. What big beard? There's 150 people here. They're all big beard. The one that is very good with his hands. Ah, good hand. Yeah, good hand. He fell and broke his legs. That's a good thing. It's not his legs. This is a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. What happened if we are trying to connect to somebody else, we need his name. We need to be able to tap into that person, to have it in my head, in imagination. And what's going to happen? I'm going to have to find a name that describes him the best and his story. So good hand for this guy or long beard for that guy or whatever. That's how they believe names started evolving. So it makes sense now why names still hold such an important message for you. That is really fascinating, Gal. So what do I do with a name like mine? When I looked up what it means, actually already a while ago, one of the main meanings is most holy. That's certainly not how I feel. <laughs> no, but just uh, what, 10 minutes ago, you said that you finally recognize the fact that you are a witch and that people ask you for questions and they want to answer. That's what holy people used to do. We call them holy because they separated themselves from the rest of us and gave us because most all of us are just self-centered and we just want to take and we just want to have more and we're afraid of survival. The holy people in many languages means separated from the rest are those that are strong enough to give us, to actually shut up and listen to my problems instead of saying, yeah, me too. I also had that. That's the normal conversation, right? Unholy. But the holy person will basically listen to you and channel an answer. So you, your name is your story. You strive to be holy. It doesn't mean that right now you are holy. You are working on your holiness. Does that make sense? On the ability to be selfless, of the ability to step out of yourself. That's what a holy person is, is getting out of their ego like a bodhisattva, for example, a saint, and being able, or in Hebrew, it's called kadosh, and being able to connect to another person without having to interfere in the mm -hmm. process. Thank you for that perspective, Gal. And I acknowledge I still have a lot of work to do, a lot of path to journey on, but it certainly is a beautiful journey. And yeah, that was that's a, I will have to think on that some more. I really appreciate it. You also said that aside from understanding our purpose and our path, which is connected to our names, that there's also a shadow side to everyone's name. So how do we, first of all, even realize what this shadow side is? And then how do we interact or with it or integrate it? The shadow, I prefer the Jungian idea of the shadow, which is a place, it's the dark forest. It's the place mm -hmm. where everything is dark, the unconscious. We're not really sure what's going on there, but that's where all our potential and our gifts are located as well. Shadow, for me, even in astrology, if you think about what is the dark side of signs, every sign has only, I think, good qualities. But when you're doing too much of that archetype or not enough of that archetype, you hit the dark side of that sign. So if you're in about energy, protection, the soldier, yes. But if you're an unemployed army, you're, you're a problem. If you're not look connecting enough to the Aries, the dark side of Aries could be lazy and egocentric because they're not en energy enough. They're not moving enough. They're not liberating other people. Same thing with your name. I don't think your dark side will be unholy. Your dark side will be, I don't feel holy. I'm not holy. And therefore, you're blocking the channel of your name. So I'm coming to you knowing that you are holy because that's what I feel from you. And I'm asking you a question and you're saying to me, I don't know. What are you asking me for? What am I? Teacher, ask somebody else. You blocked me because mm -hmm. I can see you can tell me, but you refused me. Mm -hmm. That's your dark side. Mm -hmm. So negating our name or taking our name too much. For example, my name means Gal. And when I check Gal, sorry, Gal means a wave. We talked about it. And I checked on Google what a wave means. It's a disturb, it's an energy disturbance that travel through space and time. And that's perfectly describing me. I am disturbing people. I'm not the kind of a, a spiritual teacher or whatever you want to call it that hugs people. And even in my groups that I do in SLN, and I try to be as nice as I can, but I'm not the lovey dovey person that I'm not. What can I do? So Yes, I do have these waves of upside down. I do disturb. For me, the dark side of my thing would be a tsunami that drowns the sheep or a low kind of wave, a wave that takes me down. So every name has 
mm-hmm. that ability. It's I always tell people, dive into your name, write down your name and all the associations that you have that comes out, say associations that Freud used to talk about. Mm, beautiful. That is really great food for thought. I'll actually sit down and do that later today. Gal, something I love to ask each and every one of my guests is about a practice or their favorite practices that have elevated their lives mentally, physically, and or spiritually. Would you be willing to share such a practice with us? Well, I have so many of those and I keep changing them. But one that I've started recently because my Saturn moved into the 12th house recently, which is the house of pain and suffering and terrible things. In order to uh, deal with that, uh, what I decided is to cut sugar, Mm. to just cut sugar completely. And I'm a person who is very sugary. My favorite practice was coffee and croissant, with all due respect. That uh, is full of sugar. And in a coffee, I used to put sugar. One day went cold turkey, was in May, I think. Cut off. The coffee was terrible tasting. I used to have these healthy cookies that had probably a lot of sugar, no honey, no granola, nothing allowed to me. And I, no dessert. And I've been like that for how long is it now? Like probably five months. And it's an interesting thing what it does to you, mood-wise, energy-wise, physically. Uh, so I really recommend right now for people, especially as we're entering Pisces, which is the sign of addiction, and humanity has a terrible addiction to sugar because people might argue about, yes, carbs, no carbs, yes, fat, no fat. Nobody argues about the fact that sugar is terrible for you. I think we can practice being sweet without sugar. thank you that's a really good one and i'm with you there too i also have a huge sweet tooth so maybe within the next couple of months i'll try to reduce that and take the opportunity for a new year's resolution which basically i do every day but and cut out the sugar a little bit especially with what i have read with regards to health aspects for my Mm -hmm. own sign next year so that might be a wise thing to do. Gal, for people who would like to learn more about you, reach out to you, where can they do so? And what other offerings do you have for us? I do a lot of workshops. Every Sunday, I do a free class at 10 o'clock Los Angeles time, but it's also on live Instagram, cosmic underscore navigator. But they can go to my website, cosmicnavigator.com and sign into this class and see it in Zoom or they can do it in live Instagram. I started it in the pandemic because I felt like people need a spiritual anchor. And that's why I told you about free things. I think that it's really important. So uh, that's every Sunday. And then you can look at my website. I'm going to have a few classes on 2023 on webinars. If you are in London or Paris. This year, I'm not going to be in Berlin and Munich. Sometimes I go to Berlin and Munich. In Zurich, I'm going to be London, Istanbul, Sofia, Israel. I can meet you in person. I do astrology charts, past lifetime regression, the classes, and of course, the books. And on my website, cosmicnavigator.com, under Learn, there's a lot of free stuff there. Many different meditations, recordings that you can use. Yes, it's a great resource, by the way. I spent quite some time on it over the last few days. Highly recommend Gal, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. I love this conversation. And have a good time with Saturn moving into your sign, March 7. Thank you, Gal. I will heed it and I will be open to it. Thank you so much. Thanks a a lot. Rest of your day. Bye. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. 